The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. All right, church, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter number 3. If you have trouble finding that and there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, just pick that up. There's a table of contents. You'll find it in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter number 3. While you're finding your place, just want to take a moment to say thank you to Brother Roland for filling in and preaching a couple of weeks ago and, and heard wonderful things about the message. And then this past Sunday, Brian came and brought the Word and uh, made me a little nervous. I, you know, kind of text to see how service and stuff was going on. And, and uh, I'm getting back, man, things are going good. This is a good service. So, uh, oh man, maybe they don't need me anymore, right? But, uh, so, uh, but no, I, I'm so thankful uh, for uh, everybody to pitch in and, and uh, for the good services that we've had. And we're going to pick up again here, Romans chapter number 3. Let me pick up reading in verse number 9. Now, those of you that follow along in the catechism with us, or the app, or the book, or whatever, it just has this week, uh, Romans 3, verse number 20. But uh, I felt like that we needed a little bit more than that, so rather than just doing a few verses, we're going to do uh, verse 9, and I'm going to try my best to preach down to verse number 26, all right? And I promise I'll have you out of here by 4.30, and uh, no, I'm just messing with you. We'll be out by 2.30. Here we go, verse number 9. What then? These guys were answering back. They said, what then? Are, are we better than they? Right? The Jews, they're saying, are we better than the Gentiles? Paul says, not at all. We're, for we have already charged that both the Jews and the Gentiles, or both the Jews and the Greeks, are, they're all under sin. And then he starts pulling out some Old Testament quotes. He says, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, and there is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside together. They have all become useless. There is none that does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open, open sepulcher, or open grave. With their tongue they keep on deceiving, and the poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the paths of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow, that's an incredible passage of Scripture. And you say, well, I don't know who that's talking about. Surely somebody down the road, surely somebody out there. No, when the Apostle Paul writes that and he quotes from the Old Testament, he looks at all of us in the eye and he said, that's who you are aside from Christ. Look at verse number 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse number 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Well, where is it? 
even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, right? No Jew, no Greek, no rich, no poor, no in nor out. Anyone who believes on Jesus has everlasting life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sin previously committed for the demonstration I say of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of His Word. Amen? Bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Holy Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the help of the Spirit of God, that You would breathe into all of us today new life. I pray You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, maybe even noses to sense the smell of the text. Lord, good tongues that we might taste the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that every facet of the human body, from our mind to our soul to our body to our spirit, would be consumed with the goodness of Jesus today. Help us, Lord. Help me to preach clearly and carefully thoughtfully. And Lord, help us all to listen. And as we draw this service to a close in a few minutes and we take the Lord's Supper together, may we do that. The power and demonstration of the Spirit of God, remembering the Son of God who died for us, rose again and is coming again for those who believe in Him. For it is in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. So we're in this catechism series, and uh, last week we kind of talked about the fact that um, that it's not that God didn't that God created us with the that we could not keep the law, but the fact of the matter is that everybody in this room today we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed. If you're like me, you probably failed before you even got to church today, right? You said something, you did something, you thought something. You, it shouldn't have been that way. And the reason now we're we're sinners, we fall short of the glory of God, and we can't keep the law. And so the natural question arises in the catechism well if nobody can keep the law then why on earth would we have the law what's the what's the purpose of the law well if you were following along with us this week you probably taught your children through the through the app or through the study or maybe you taught each other or maybe with your friends you or even yourself you dove into the passage a little bit and you realize that the purpose of the law is one to reveal the very character and glory and greatness of the God of heaven when we see the law that's given, when we even look at the Ten Commandments and we see what God demands, it reveals to us how holy and marvelous and wonderful and good our God is. Amen? Isn't that right? And yet at the same time, another purpose of the law is that it ends up kind of damning us because we try and keep the law in and of ourselves, and the more you try and keep it, the more you realize you break it. Now, right, you leave out of here today and you try the best you can to say, you know what, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, put my bootstraps on, pull up my big boy pants, and I'm going to keep the law of God without fail the entire week. You won't even get past 9 o'clock, friend. And if you've got a newborn in the house, you ain't getting past 2 o'clock in the morning. The law exists to reveal to you the character of God and the law exists to reveal to you that you aren't all of that in a bag of chips. You're not all that you think you are. 
You might be in this room today and you think that you're a pretty good person. Just mirror your, just look into the law of God and see what it says about what God demands of us. And you'll have to hang your head like I do in shame and say, oh man. Here's a tough one. Do you know the book of James says this? If you offend or if you break the law of God, one of the laws, you're guilty of all of them. Hey, that's not even fair. Well, he's God. He makes the rules, right? You break one of the law, you're guilty of all of them. So that God reveals to you, God reveals to you through the law His glory and His character. God reveals to you in the law your sinfulness. But can I say to this to you? God reveals to you uh, indirectly and even directly in the law. God reveals to you not only His character and all of our uh, inferiority, all of our failures, but God reveals to us that He has a divine plan to save us, to redeem us, to bring redemption to the hearts of those who would believe. Amen. Even if you read the Ten Commandments, before God ever gets to the Ten Commandments, He reminds you that He brought the children of Israel out across the Red Sea, delivered them by His mercy and His kindness and His goodness, and then established a law for them to live by. And I want to say to you today, before you can ever keep the law of God by the help of the Holy Spirit, you need the redemption that it only comes to you by faith in Jesus Christ. Because the text is long today, let me just point out a few things to you. Look back if we would. I'll just kind of walk down through the text and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. So look at verse number 9. He says, what then? Like, there's a question. The people are asking this question back, right? He says, what then? Are we better than they? So here's what's going on. Before this text, uh, the Apostle Paul said, hey, the Jews have a privileged position in church history because all of the Scripture came by the Jew. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. God said, I'm going to bless those people. And so they get in verse, uh, verse number 9, and it's like the Jews look back and they say, well, <laughs> we must be better than all those Gentile people. And what what's he says? What does he say? No, no. Oh, what then? Are we better than they? Look what he says back in verse number nine. Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, and look, it, what he's saying here is not just Jewish people and not just Greek-speaking people, but all people in the world. doesn't matter what continent, what country, what background, what race, what amount of money. It doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. Every single person in the world is guilty before the God of heaven of sin and of unrighteousness and of wickedness. All of us are sinners before the God of heaven. And we better, get that, we better get that straight. Just because you grew up in a church, just because you've been dunked under somebody's water, just because your, your name may appear on a card in this church many years ago, none of that takes away from the fact that all of us are created and we live our lives and we become sinners before God. And look what he says here. You see where he says, we have already charged that both the Jews and the Greeks are all under sin. Ah, it's an interesting word there when he says under sin. The word there is hupo. Now, you think of the word like hypo, right? Hyper, or hyper, right? Hyperactive children. What you might be wanting is a hupoactive child. It means to be under the control of or under the sway of or under the authority of. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 9, this same word is used there when the centurion comes to Jesus and he's, he, he's acting by faith and he says, I have many soldiers who are under me. What is he saying? I have many soldiers who are under my command, under my authority, under my sway. Whatever I say to do, that's what they do. 
In the old world, they would have like a, what they would call hupopedagogin, which means, or where we would get the word pedagogy, right? To teach or to train or to learn. And so it didn't matter what family you came from. If you were a child and you were hupopedagogin, you were under the training and the teaching of a teacher that was above you. You were under their sway, under their authority. You had to do what they commanded you to do. What does the Bible say here about being under? Look back at verse number 9. We're all under sin. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, will you listen to me for a second? Maybe if you're here today, maybe this is the first time you're here, maybe you're not a brother or sister. That's okay. We, we welcome you here. Even if you're a little critical or concerned, we just want you to understand the text, the Bible, that we want you to understand the message here and what we're saying here and what the Bible is simply saying here. Paul says, what, are those Jews better? Are we better? Are those people better? He says, no, all of us are under the sway of sin. We're under its control, we're under its power, we're under its command, we're under its authority. Whatever it tells us to do, it jerks us around by the collar. And can you just please take off your fakeness for a moment and agree with me that left to your own devices, the sin in your life jerks you around. You don't have the authority over your habits and addictions, a sin as you think you do. They they jerk you around. They make you do what they want you to do. You don't believe that? Why don't you fast tomorrow? And find, find out just how quickly your hunger and your appetite for food control your body and your attitude. We are all under the authority of sin. That's a tough one, isn't it? Now look what he does in verse number 10 to 18. He takes us back to the Old Testament. And let's let's walk through these verses carefully together just for a second. Verse number, verse number 10, he says here, look, we're all under sin, and now he's going to prove it to you. He says, look, we're under sin, so let me show you what the Scripture has to say. And that's what we do in this church. We try and tell you what the Scripture says about it. Look at verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Would you just breathe that in for a moment? Because many of us in this room today, we have a sense, a sense of our own self-righteousness that we're not, maybe we're not Jesus, of course, but we're better than the person beside us. We're better than that person that we think about. We're better than that immigrant. We're better than this person. We're better than that person. And you wouldn't say that out loud, but you'd think it in your own heart. That, and the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Nobody in this room is righteous. Nobody in this room attains to the righteousness of the God of heaven. Everybody in this room today, if you walk out of here today and you learn one lesson here, well, I want you to learn two lessons. You're bad and Jesus is good. Amen? Amen. And you know what? It would do all of our believers in this room to just remember that we're bad people except for Jesus. You say, why, Steve? Why is it important for us to remember our roots that we are fallen, sinful people? Because it'll keep you humble when you walk through the halls of this church and you remember that the boys and girls that are running around beside you and the men and women who you converse with and go to Sunday school class with and come to church with, they're not perfect people and neither are you. So don't gossip about them. Don't hurt them. Don't tear them down. But look to them and love them and bring Jesus into the equation. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then look what he says here. All have turned aside. 
Together they have become useless. You, you might have something like useless or worthless or uh, sour. I don't know if anybody has uh, sour. The word here for useless, uh, it, mean, it, it came in time where it was talking about milk that had been left out. Anybody in here ever drink sour milk by accident? On purpose? If you did it on purpose, get up and let, no, I'm just messing. I'm just messing with you. Hey, that's all you got. The word here means to sour. Can I tell you something? Listen, life apart from Christ puts you under the authority of sin. And life apart from Christ will sour you up something bad. I used to do construction work when I was in Florida. And there's a, a fellow that uh, worked down there with us. And I'm telling you, he would drink a, like a can of Yoo-Hoo. Y'all do know what Yoo-Hoo is, right? Okay. Chocolate milk. And he would be, we would be putting, like, putting up footers, and he would drink half of a carton of chocolate milk and put it down, and the next day on the job, he would drink it. <laughs> That's messed up, people. <laughs> and he doesn't listen to sermons, so I'm going to tell you, he was me- No, I'm just messing with him. Nobody does that. Why? You leave the milk out, it sours. has no life, no vibrancy. It's not in doing the purpose that it was intended to do. It's not living in its fullness. And if your life is not inside of Jesus Christ, if you've not been redeemed by the grace and the mercy of Christ on the cross and His resurrection, whereby He sucked out all of the sinfulness and paid for it on the the cross and infused into you all of His righteousness, your sour milk. And you know what? I've met a lot of people in church life that tend to be sour pusses. All puckered up Eeyores walking around. Something's wrong. Get it right. Look back at the text. Look at verse number, um, look at verse number 13. Oh, I run. Hey, just look at the imagery of this. Is this not? Man, this puts us all. Look what it says. Their throat. Why don't you just put your throat right here? Right? Steve's throat. Your throat. Right? Their throat is an open grave. Anybody ever been to a graveside? The dirt that they pour on top? Your and my mouth is an open grave. The dirt of death coming out of us. Now listen, you're probably sitting there just the same way I was, thinking, wow, that's really... I don't think I'm that bad. But what I want you to do is not think about what you think about yourself. I want you to think about what God says is true of you. Look back down here if you would. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their path, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In verse 10 to 18, because i got to move quickly today, let me just give you three words. You can go back and study those verses. Those verses there, 10 to 18, those Old Testament quotations, really fall into about three categories. The Apostle Paul, first of all, says there's a character... There's character in this, and the character has flaws. 
that it's mean and it's wicked and it's hateful. So there is a character here that has characteristics of wickedness. Not only that, but he says, now your character and your tongue, and the tongue in this has a tone that is not right and it's not helpful, but it's hurtful and it's demeaning. And it's not the way that God wants. So there, there, there is a, a character and there's a, a, a tongue and there is also a conduct written in those verses that where we go, you notice what it says, what we say and where we go and before our path, there is no righteousness. And just think about that. Is that not the totality of our own selves? Our character, what we say, and the conduct, the things that we do. Doesn't that really kind of run the gamut? <laughs> you can't hide from any of that. Who you are on the inside, what you say with your mouth, and what you do with your hands, all of us are in sin. Now look back down at the text. Let's move a little bit further. Look at verse 19, 19 and 20 together. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. You might want to circle that and go back in verse number 9 where it says all who are under sin, right? Same phrase here, who are under the sway of the law. It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Wow. Did you know that this morning when you walked in here that you were accountable to God for your life? What you say and where you go and what you do and anything that's not in the essence of following Christ, you're accountable for. Oh boy, let's look at verse number 20 and then we'll get to the good stuff. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Just hear me carefully for just a moment. All right? I I realize that I started preaching today in fifth gear. I don't know. I kind of feel like that Aerosmith song, Back in the Saddle Again. I I know somebody who sung that song long before Aerosmith, but that's who I know, all right? So I'm just a little amped up today, but can I just chat with you for a moment? I just want you to realize this. By the works of the law, nobody is justified. You see, you, could, you can do everything that the Bible teaches. You could be the best person you could possibly be. And if you are trusting in being the very best person you could possibly be, if you're trusting for that, to atone for your sins and make you right before God, you'll fail and you'll come short of the glory of God and you'll spend eternity in a Christless suffering pain. You cannot be good enough to earn the favor of God. Will you please hear that? It is not by the works of righteousness which we have done. It is not by the works of the law. It is not by fulfilling the law. It is only by the merit of Jesus Christ that we are saved. You say, Steve, how can that possibly be? Because, listen, brothers and sisters, sin is so bad that it doesn't just affect us outwardly. It's on the very inside. It's who you are. So even if you could be a Pharisee and be so pure and clean on the outside, you'd still be filled with dead men's bones on the inside. For all of the works of the law will never make the heart righteous. You know what we need? We need a heart transplant. 
We need God to rip out that old heart and to give us a new heart. Amen? Look at the text. Let me, uh, in the time I have left, let's, uh, let's just run through 21 through 26 just because these are great verses. Look at verse 21. But now apart from the law. You see, there is a righteousness that comes apart from the law. The law was never intended to bring righteousness. The law was intended to show you that you can't be righteous. So every time you think, what would God want me to do? And if I just do what God wants me to do every single time. No, no, no. What God is doing is He reveals His law. Don't murder. Uh, uh, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Honor your parents. Have no other God before me. And then Jesus elaborates and He says, listen, if you've ever been angry, it's like you're murdering somebody. If you've ever lusted after a woman, it's as if you've committed adultery. And you feel the pressure of that coming down on top of your head. The law is doing what it was intended to do. It's intended Intended to push down the press on your life so that you bow down and you say, I can never do this. Ah. And when you get to the place where you cry and you say, I can never please God, <laughs> Jesus said, When I'm high and lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. When Moses was in the desert and all the people were grumbling, they were being stung by the serpents and they were falling down. And he said, lift up your eyes and look to Jesus. Look down at the text. 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Can I tell you something? The gospel is not something that comes in the New Testament. The gospel is, comes from the very beginning of the Bible. The law and the prophets knew the gospel, that the Messiah was coming. Peter and Paul and John, when they're preaching in the New Testament, they don't have a New Testament to preach the Gospel to you. They are using the Old Testament to preach of the death and the burial and the resurrection of the coming Messiah. Even the law and the prophets testify of the righteousness that is not in the law but is in Christ. Look back at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God which through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. Notice these familiar verses. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified... Well, for sake of time, let me give you this. Uh, you'll need this. You can just kind of pick it up later. In verse number 24 down through verse number 26, the Apostle Paul uses three kind of metaphors here. He uses one of the legal system. Oh, right. He uses one of the legal system. He's one of a sacrificial system. And then he uses one of slavery and deliverance. So 24 through 26, you'll find that he says, we, uh, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we're being justified. It's a legal term. It means that we have been uh, made, both, listen, both of these now from my theologians, we have been made and declared righteous before God. And the reason why we have been declared righteous before the judge is because he has made us righteous by the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Amen. 
We have been justified. You say, what's going on in this passage? It is a legal term. The judge is looking at somebody who is guilty, i.e. you and me, and he's saying, you're not guilty. You're acquitted. You're righteous. You're good to go. And all of us should have our mouths dropping. The great paradox, as Bengal said of the gospel, the great paradox is that the just judge would look at a wicked sinner and not say, thus condemned, but to say, thus made righteous. I am standing in the courtroom. You stand in the courtroom of your life. You know what you have done is wrong in your life. You, I don't need to tell you your sins, and you don't want me to tell you your sins. You know them already. You stand before a holy God, a great judge, and you shudder, and He says to you, you're righteous. I have justified you. You are free to go. You are innocent. You are acquitted of what you've done. How can that possibly be? Because of the second metaphor. For He made propitiation. The word propitiation comes from a sacrificial term that God takes all of the right judgment that belongs on the good or the sinful human being and He puts it upon an innocent sacrifice. All of that is modeled throughout all of the Old Testament sacrificial system for you. But all of the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and everything else could never atone for your wickedness and mine. Why? Because those are animals and we're human beings. And Jesus comes on the scene and the judge says, I justify you, I make you, I acquit you, I pardon you. And somebody says, how can a just judge do that? Because all of the rightful guilt and punishment goes not on you, but on Jesus, the innocent lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth for you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, I know this old story. I've heard it long ago. I've believed it in my soul. Then the encouragement for you today is to walk out of here and be humbled to the point of tears and rejoice in your heart again that as wicked and as sorry as all of us are in our own minds, and don't tell me you're not, you know you are. God saw fit not to punish you, but to put all of that upon His Son Jesus who died for our sins that we might have the righteousness of God. And if you're in here today and you do not know Jesus, I want to introduce you to Him. I want you to know that He is God's Son. He came into this world and everything that you have ever done wrong in your life, Jesus died for so that you would not have to pay a just penalty. But you could receive everlasting life by trusting in Him. Oh. A judicial illustration, you've been justified. A sacrificial illustration that Jesus died in your stead as the Lamb of God. Oh, and what about deliverance? That we once were in bondage. Do you remember what we said in verse 9? We were held under the command and the sway of sin, but Jesus died to deliver us from our bondage. And Romans chapter 8 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. John Newton, when he was a very old man, he's the man that wrote the song Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. When he was very old, John Newton said, I have lost half of my memory, but these two things I remember. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. 
you bow your heads with me for a moment? Hey, so here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'll pray. And the musicians will get into position. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I have a formal come down to the altar kind of invitation. But here's the invitation for you today. Would you just close your eyes, bow your head. Maybe you've not had a chance to pray this week. Just take a moment and pray. Talk to God. If you're in this room today and you're a believer, what's the application? Why don't you just rejoice and give Him glory and honor and praise that He took a sinful person like you and He gave you redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. Have you thanked Jesus this week for what He's done? Have you shared with somebody who's never heard this week what Jesus did for you? If you're in here today with us, and it doesn't matter to me whether you're a member or a visitor, you say, I've been in church all my life, or this is the first time I've been in one. You don't have to bear that weight alone. You are never meant to be. My dear friend, I tell you on the authority of Scripture, the best thing that you can do is humbly talk with God right now. And just tell Him, yes, I have sinned. I've said things and done things and thought things, and it's wrong. I know it's wrong. And I keep trying to save myself. I keep trying to deliver myself by being a better person. By, and week after week, I keep thinking I'll just get better, but I'm not. Why don't you ask Jesus to save you? And to change your life. And you found a place with some people who aren't perfect, but we are redeemed by the goodness of Jesus. If you make that decision to follow Him, just tell Him. Talk to Him in your own words. Lord Jesus, I want You to be my Savior, my Lord. I'll follow You. And you stick around when today's over with, and we'll help you walk with Him the rest of your life. Let me pray for us as our ushers get ready. Lord Jesus, we love You. I pray for my friends that are here today. Oh Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus on the cross. Would You give them a vision of the cross and the resurrected Lord Jesus. I pray that we would cast all of our cares and our anxieties and our fears and our sins at the foot of the cross that we would believe in our own lives that Jesus Christ loved us, died for us. Help us to put our faith and confidence in Christ today. Believer and unbeliever alike. And we will love you and thank you for we know you will hear. We know you will save. And we know you'll sustain. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.